0: Do you know what cancel culture actually means? It's okay if you didn't, we didn't either until recently. Today we discuss cancel culture, some recent examples in the media, and we talk through the dynamics social media plays in our world on whether people should have second chances. This leads us to talk all about forgiveness and Neil opens up about his feelings toward the people who shot and killed his brother Dave 18 months ago and what he's doing to process and work through that situation. We conclude with some thoughts about how cancel culture can be a good thing when done in the right way and how to move toward forgiveness if you're struggling with that too. Welcome, everybody. Hi, guys. I'm here with Neil today, and we're going to discuss a term that I keep seeing pop up on social media. I've seen it for a long time, and it is cancel culture. So, Neil, did you know before last night what cancel culture was? No idea. (laughs) I just brought it up in conversation, we were just sitting there eating dinner and I said, do you know what cancel culture is? And Neil was like, no, what's that? And I have to tell you the first several times I heard people talk about cancel culture, I just assumed it was like our generation's tendency to be flaky, right? Like, you know, it's so easy to cancel thing. You were You were saying like, oh, maybe canceling like a I was thinking
1: like all your subscriptions or cancel your credit cards or something like that. Like, I don't know, financially related.
0: (laughs) Probably because we just barely went through and canceled a ton of
1: unnecessary subscriptions.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I thought it was, I just automatically assumed it was people's tendency to just cancel things like social engagements or commitments. Like it's, it used to be that if you wanted to meet up with your friends at the park, you'd say, okay, okay. When back when we all only had landlines, you'd call someone or you'd make a plan and say, Okay, at five o'clock, we're going to meet at this park at this time, you know, whatever, at this address. You had to, like, you know, if you were really advanced, you printed out MapQuest directions. But if mm-hmm. not, you were like, Okay, look for this landmark. And then when you see the tree, turn right. And then you'll see it, you know, a fire station or whatever, like back in the olden days. And then you just showed up. Otherwise, you let people down. But now it's like, you can back out of almost anything with a quick text, like, oh, sorry, you know, not going to make it. That's what I assumed cancel culture was, like this millennial thing that people have just adapted to because that's how our culture is now. Totally not what cancel culture is. So if you didn't know, here's the dictionary definition that I read to Neil last night from dictionary.com. Cancel culture refers to the popular practice of withdrawing support for canceling public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Cancel culture is generally discussed as being performed on social media in the form of group shaming. I actually think, well, let's go to an even more reputable source, um, the Urban Dictionary. There you go. <laughs> uh I actually think this definition is even easier to understand. So it says a desire to cancel out a person or community from social media platforms. It is characterized by the response of an evil individual when they are shown to be wrong. They will call on their followers to report the social media accounts of the person or group that did the criticizing rather than discussing the criticism or showing by evidence where the criticism is incorrect. Narcissists make up the majority of the people who engage in cancel culture and others who do this would include immature individuals. So That's the very, you know, rough cut definition from Urban Dictionary, but it kind of paints a picture of what cancel culture is, right? So like somebody does something wrong, everybody wants to cancel them out. Like this person is no longer valid. We can't support them. Um, And then that person could engage back by saying like, basically wanting their social media followers to go cancel out the other group or whatever. That's my understanding. But basically what I'm seeing is just a a trend where I think it can be good and bad that social media shaming can be a really powerful thing, or just people, a group of collective people deciding we're no longer supporting this. And, and we've seen good and bad, and we've talked about it here on the podcast, things that, you know, change for good and how, you know, we've talked about the Black Lives Matter movement. We've talked about human trafficking. We've talked about things where now in this day and age, we can make serious movement toward good by using the power of social media and people coming together for a good purpose. But I also think it can swing completely on the other side where maybe one person is completely deemed obliv- you know, into oblivion because they did one wrong thing. So we're just going to talk about some of these examples and not necessarily draw conclusions, but just have an open dialogue about it. So one thing that I thought of was the morgan scally incident and again we're not going to necessarily draw conclusions but we can link to this article from sports illustrated where they talk about the details of the morgan scally investigation so
1: morgan scally is a football defensive football coach right um, and for the university of utah
0: correct and he was a former university of utah football player and then several years later he came back to be a coach i still remember when we were cheering morgan scally on as as a player and now he's a coach but basically he, Scali was originally suspended on June 5th when it came to light that he used racial slur in a text message in exchange with a recruit back in 2013. He was immediately suspended and employment would be further determined following the results of an independent investigation by Kansas City law firm Hush Blackwell. So, you know, they did this thorough investigation and and then decided that after thoroughly evaluating all the information that they were going to Um, give him the opportunity to offer an apology and then try to make things right. And then they're going to let him come back in the fall. And this is an interesting, you know, situation to observe, basically. And, And are you on the side of, you know, he should just be canceled out and never be able to get a job again in his industry. He should have known better. That was completely wrong. And it obviously, Neil and I both agree, a racial slur is wrong. I guess where my question is, is if you want people to be better, does that mean be better by you never have chances ever again to make this right? Like, because you did something in 2013 from when it's uncovered in 2020, should you have the opportunity to make it right? Or are you just done career-wise for the rest of your life? You know, it's a valid question. And I think that the University of Utah totally made the right call immediately suspending and Um, conducting an investigation and being thorough about that. And then the Sports Illustrated article basically says, like, it's up to you to decide if they did the right thing or not. But this is, you know, what they decided to do was let him come back after a sincere apology. And people just spoke to his character saying he's a really good person. And so anyway, that's one interesting example. Another one is... That's a little more extreme, but also I think is questionable, in my opinion, is Michael Jackson. So I was, I did a little Instagram story recently. It wasn't that recently, but maybe like six months ago. And one of my favorite Michael Jackson songs, I mean, I grew up listening to Michael Jackson. I listened to him in high school. Neil's smiling at me because (laughs) we have like constant radio wars and like song wars in the car. If you guys follow us on Instagram, you know that Neil has a real affinity to like 90s. What do you even call 90s those bands? Rock bands, crunch yeah, like bands, et cetera. Bands, like
1: but I will Creed. say I do every Halloween, I I do love hearing thriller. I think it just is, brings back fond memories.
0: Okay. Well that's sad to me if that's the only Michael Jackson affinity that you only, have. But but, it's cool. but I mean, there's just so many songs that I have really fond memories tied to and and I feel like he is iconic in music history right? So anyway, I played this song and it was like, how can you have a bad day listening to this song? And a bunch of people responded to that story saying, you might want to check out the most recent documentary on Hulu about Michael Jackson. And there's some pretty serious things going on there with, you know, he was accused of um, doing some really awful things with children. And I haven't watched it, to be honest, but I've been, it's its just caused me to question from then on, okay, do I want to associate myself with anything promoting him? Probably not, because I have a real problem with anyone who's harming children. But then also, do we just do away with his music forever and ever? Do we just, you know, is he completely obsolete now in in music history? its It's a valid question, right? So, I don't have the answers to this, but it just led to a very deep conversation that Neil and I had last night about, you know, how much forgiveness should each person have? And where do you draw the line where from then on, you're no longer, you can't get a job. You, everyone shuns you, you are done. And obviously like the Michael Jackson one, maybe isn't quite as valid because of a topic of discussion because he's passed away now, but someone like Morgan Scally, going back to that, that is like a great topic of debate where it's like, where do you draw the line as far as giving someone another chance to make it right? Or really using something as an example and doing right to a culture that was wronged, you know? And how do you know when it's the right thing to draw the line and just say, we're done with this person? So what were some of your initial thoughts, Neil, when we were getting into this topic?
1: Well, yeah, it's one of those topics where I think it's it's really there's a lot of challenging, different dynamics to it. And one of the things that I thought of is, like, getting the actual, getting facts of what happened and knowing mm-hmm. like the completeness of a situation is really challenging. Um, and I think even in a legal matter, like they have to go off of, and I've been learning all about this, they you have to go off of evidence and what will hold hold up in court, what's going to be like irrefutable evidence. And a lot of times what we actually know that's irrefutable is is limited. You right. don't have all of the facts, so you're doing the best you can based off of a limited amount of information. But, you know, it can spin it either way mm-hmm. depending on what information you have and maybe you do have the facts, you know.
0: Well, and I think that is one huge element of the cancel culture thing is all it takes is one person posting one story on social media that goes viral And it may only have a skewed small part of someone's story, or maybe the most sensational part of it, or, or maybe not, you know, I mean, back to the Michael Jackson thing, as soon as I heard that, I took the story down, because I thought, I don't want to associate myself with anything that appears like I'm okay with that, or I'm promoting that, you know, anything that he did wrong, but I haven't taken the time to sit down and watch the documentary or like really go deep into the facts. But you know, a social media movement for good or bad can really make a big difference. But when you, when you're talking about like really, really deciding what the right thing to do is, I agree with you. You've got to look at all the facts. That's one thing that I'll agree on with the Morgan Scully thing. They, they did a thorough investigation of, okay, exactly what happened. Let's interview a bunch of people. Let's get all the facts straight. Let's really bring all the evidence to the table before we make a conclusion, but i mean this topic really hits close to home right with you yeah with our family your family so for anyone who doesn't know uh, neil's brother passed away 18 months ago yeah no mm-hmm. so um january 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 of, of 19 uh, january 17th 9, yeah.
1: 2019
0: and so we have, it was actually our very first podcast episode, if you want to go back and listen to that whole episode. But I'll let you kind of set the set the stage for that so that anyone who's listening to this for the first time, who's maybe a newer listener, kind of understands just the base story of what happened.
1: Yeah. So yeah, about 18 months ago, my brother, he's closest to me in age, about four years older than I am. Um, super close, very, very close. He was like a mentor, kind of even a father figure to me he owned several properties and had tenants in these properties. And um, there was an issue with one of the tenants basically that needed to, to be evicted. When he went to evict them, there was an incident and we don't have all of the details on exactly what happened. Um, but he was shot and killed. Um, and then the people that, that did this, they hid his body in a kind of like an, like a, closet kind of underneath of some floorboards and then so it took about you know a a day or so for the police to finally come in process the crime scene find the body and then within I think 48 hours they through you know their surveillance and tracking everything down they got the the individuals who did this and they took them into custody Um, and then they are getting you know it's been a very slow grinding process that's it, been extended due to covid but they are in the process of being prosecuted.
0: Yeah, and another really important detail of that is that he, this wasn't just like an oops accidental shooting like he was shot four times. So that's another like important yeah detail and and so that's something that our conversation naturally led to when we talked about how much forgiveness can you extend and when is it an appropriate line to just say, "We're you know," and another example to go to before we completely dive into that is where we were totally on the same page was the Subway Jared guy. You know, he was arrested for um, some really heinous crimes with children and child pornography, and it was very obvious that like Subway didn't want anything to do with him. They cut all ties with him. He'll probably never have a chance to get a job like that again. Being like the face of Subway and um, is in jail and or well actually I don't even know if he's in jail hopefully he's in I'm I would assume he's in jail but anyway um so going back to this and just talking through like well where where is it appropriate to offer forgiveness or people having another chance and we talked about how Neil and I have had some pretty intense experiences with the twelve steps and with doing the steps and do you want to explain kind of your side of that as far as you know what that experience was like for you before obviously before Dave died and before when you went through all of your steps
1: basically yeah like I I had an addiction that I had developed over a lifetime of, you know, trying to cope with life. And that's the the addiction that I found was, you know, pornography. And that worked for me until it didn't, which happens quickly. And then I saw that as problematic and got into recovery and started going to meetings and outpatient recovery programs. And, you know, Karen and I worked together on that. Um, but coming from that standpoint of understanding of like, man, like I rely on, the grace of God, of Jesus Christ, you know, to obtain forgiveness and then have an opportunity to change and to become better and working through the 12-step process, that's how you make that happen. And it all hinges on being extended forgiveness through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so if you look into the Bible and the teachings within the Bible and in the gospel, like that's the commandment is that, you know, we receive forgiveness from, from God, but also we're commanded, you know, Jesus Christ himself commanded us to forgive others. And it's like, it makes sense. It's like, yeah, okay. Okay. But then once something happens to you at that level, it becomes all, suddenly there's a massive challenge with it. And it's, and it's really, really, really hard.
0: From the 12 steps too quickly. So, I, because I do want to like dive into that just a little bit deeper. So, for me, when I did the 12 steps, and this was, if you go back and listen to our addiction recovery episodes, you can listen to our whole story in depth about this. But I remember there were certain things that we had gone through that I was, I held on to anger toward you and this none of this is new neil knows this but there were certain things that it almost felt good to me to hold on to because i was like you will always be indebted to me like i will always kind of hold this against you and i'll never forgive you for xyz there were just like certain instances that i felt like i kind of always had the upper hand in our relationship almost because he would always be indebted to me for certain things that he screwed up because of his addiction i know that sounds really harsh but it's just me trying to really paint a picture so you can understand what that dynamic was like. But when I got super desperate to have peace and to have clarity in my life and to just really dig deep and do whatever it took to not feel like I was going crazy from being married to someone who was in their addiction at the moment, um, and this was several years ago, I just was like, I'll do anything. I called my friend Mandy, who is ended up being my sponsor. And I said, Mandy, what do I do? And she said, do you want me to just listen to you or do you want to do something about it? And I said, I'll do anything. And so she said, okay, you need to work the steps. And so I did. And in working those 12 steps, there's some really magical things that happen when you have to write down all of your indiscretions and your resentments and your fears, and then confess those to someone. And then like you you work step by step through these grueling things that are so gut wrenching and so they like carve out the deepest parts of your soul and uncover things that you've been just hanging on to and you can't do a thorough 12 step unless you're really willing to dig these things out and I when I did my 12 steps I was like I want full credit for these. I am not going to halfway do this. It is going to be I want this to work and I'm going to put every single ounce of effort into it. And I got I got that out of it. And I I can honestly say that, you know, as I did some of the things like asking others for forgiveness or trying to make amends and also like asking God to remove my character weaknesses, my hardest character weakness to let go of and to ask God humbly to take away from me was that resentment that I was holding on to because it was kind of like, yeah, you always owe me a little bit and I, and getting on my knees and asking God Meaning, Neil would always owe me a little bit, like in a in an any kind of an argument, if that makes sense. And getting on my knees and asking God to take those things away from me was so humbling, and so humbling to have to like reach out to people that I've wronged in the past and ask them for forgiveness, and confess these things that I've done wrong. Like there just were so many things that took so much humility, that by the end of it, there was no more like I'm up here and you're down here, like. I'm a little bit better than you. You'll always owe me. That was one of the gifts of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And utilizing that by doing a thorough, thorough 12 steps was that he took that away from me. It's gone. I I mean, Neil and I still have disagreements, but I hopefully you feel that in sincerity of the the way that I am in our relationship now. Yeah, I don't absolutely. I I don't not only do I not bring those things up, that's not like a self, that's not something that I've like mastered as far as Self- mastery, I can't even think of the right phrase of that, but it's not like something that I've practiced and become like mentally so strong that I won't go back to those things. They just don't come up in my mind anymore because I feel like I did the thorough work to let those things go and to be healed from them and to just fully love you and and not let those things weigh me down or weigh our relationship down anymore. And so once you go through those those steps, it's hard to actually get through the 12 steps and hang on to any type of resentment or not forgive someone. But, but that's also easier said than done when you're looking at the type of situation that you are. So let's bring it back to that. And as far as like, you know, you've done this thorough 12 steps and then this situation comes up in your life as you're trying to live these steps. So what has that been like for you, Neil, with like, wrestling with forgiveness and you said in our conversation last night maybe we want to go there where the first time somebody asked you can you forgive these people
1: Yeah. Um, well, in reference just to that, that was, I was interviewed just from the local news stations in Utah about, you know, our, as a family and what we were going through and our feelings. And one of the questions that one of the interviewers or the anchors or or whatever you call them asked me was like, so do you, you know, do you feel like you would have forgiveness for these individuals? And I, and I knew that they were going to, I knew someone would ask me that question and I honestly wanted to answer yes. Like I, I truly believe in the atonement of Christ. I have experienced it. It's changed my life. Like it's changed me as a person. Changed my nature. Like I have an extended grace, and and that is the truth, one hundred percent. But in that moment, I'm like, man, at, at this point, I I am not. Like, I didn't feel like I could just, just flat out. I'll be honest. I, I didn't feel like I could say that. I, I think I said something effect of like, I can't on my own, but through Jesus Christ and through the atonement that, that, you know, I, I can get there and I can get to, to the point where I can forgive these individuals. And so that process has been a whole new section of the atonement of Christ. Like I'd worked it for myself because of my own weaknesses and shortcomings and wrongs to others but then I'd never been in a situation at that level where I'd had to, you know, be in a position to forgive someone for something that is such a deep level and and at that level of insult to like me, my family, um, you know, it's just an entire new level. And I think that, you know, as the details trickled out, it even became more challenging and more difficult because not only did I find out what happened and kind of how things went down, which st- I still don't know. And we still don't know because we don't know everything. But what I do know of the situation, you know, it just was brutal. And um, not
0: a lot of remorse on the other end. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, and basically all we not have to go remorse. off of is the is the record of, of what was said by the individuals who, you know, did this and you know there's not a lot of contrition it's it's a lot of like you know it's his fault he deserved it you know he got what he deserved and it, and so it was the the insult to the injury and mm-hmm. that is and so it makes it even harder to to be able to try and forgive somebody. I mean, I think if it had been a situation where it was like, Hey, there was an altercation, like things were crazy, you know, whatever.
0: Somebody got nervous. They accidentally pulled
1: It just, somebody freaked out and it was a situation and like, they just didn't know, you know, they were scared or whatever and it happened. And then they called the police and, you know, like maybe it would be a, there would be a a little bit, you know, different or easy. I don't know. I don't even want to know if I can say easier, but, to, it would to have change it. things it would change things yeah yeah, but to have it a situation where it's like boom, you know he was shot we they hid the body, they stole his car, you know, they hid. You know, they they were caught. And then when they were caught, they said, actually, it's his fault and he deserved it, you know.
0: Well, the, and somebody who's listening to this might be like, what the heck? It was his fault. So they they're claiming self-defense that yeah. like they're in this altercation that this guy decided I'm going to defend myself by killing dave
1: but well, the, that he forced the, the claim is that the, that he forced entry but he owned the unit and that's i can't get into the details of exactly and i don't know
0: well and the other thing too is a self-defense to me this is just absolutely crazy because in self-defense if you truly were in a situation of self-defense you would immediately call the police yeah, and want them to come document all the evidence. You would tell them your story. You wouldn't hide the body and run away. Yeah. <laughs> so, but even beyond that, what Neil's trying to share is that the very hardest part of all of this is the insult to injury of.
1: Yeah, that's what that's was said r- after it's really that's that's you know maybe the hardest part, and I like I I have kind of. Things in place mentally that I go to in situations where I feel like somebody does something wrong to me, or I get cut off in traffic, or that which happened, you know, somewhat recently, or somebody does something where I can look at it and say, like, okay, I've I've done that to somebody. Mm-hmm. Like I've I cut people off all the time, I'm sure, and I've been on you know the other side of that. I know that feels, or I've made this, this mistake, or something similar. And the challenge that I'm having with that thought process is right now in this situation, like I, I can't do that. Like I look at the situation, I look at what happened and how they responded, what they did, like even trying to logistically make sense of it. I'm like, I just can't get a logistical sense of like what you were even thinking. And so it's a whole new level of trying to figure out based off of very limited information and accepting that, accepting like, this is the situation as it is. Our justice system is very imperfect. I'm thankful we have it. I'm thankful that we have something um, and that it's there, but it does have to go off of what you have, You know, irrefutable evidence that you have to go off of. And that that's what the assumptions have to be, you know, made from, which which it's very imperfect. There are people that are in jail that shouldn't be, and there are people that are free that shouldn't be. And so it makes it really difficult. But where the burden comes on me is to figure out, you know, in that imperfect situation with so many unknowns and so many different factors, what I do know does not look good or feel good to even consider accepting that and having faith that the atonement of Christ will somehow bridge all of the va- the gaps and fill in all the valleys. And that's what I've been trying to work out. And, and that for me, it's just been studying the gospel, studying the scriptures, studying like conference talks and listening. There's a lot of great talks out there. But i I will just be admit. I don't have this thing figured out. I'm in the midst of trying to get there and trying to to work through it. and it's it's really, really, really challenging,
0: yeah. if if anyone is like, "What's a conference talk? It's our church does a general conference twice a year where the leaders, you know, share really inspirational. It's almost like spiritual TED talks, But that's what Neil's talking about. And he's been doing a lot of that on his morning bike rides. He's got, like the new love of his life is this <laughs> it's mountain not the love fight. of my life
1: you're the love of my okay. life okay
0: well second love of his life anyway um, he's been listening to these conference talks and coming home and talking to me about them and do you want to share that that quotation that you yeah. found the other day it was i thought that was super powerful this one
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of great talks on this topic and and it's a different side of the atonement of Jesus Christ that that I am learning about And figuring out how to apply it. I'd applied it for like the, I make a mistake and, and, you know, to have grace and to get grace to be able to change, but where I'm on the, on maybe on the flip side of it and have been wronged, how do I deal with that? So I'm just going to read this uh, quote. And this is from um, one of the leaders of our church back in uh, early 2000s, um, James E. Faust. He says, a sister who had been through a painful divorce wrote her experience in drawing from the atonement. She said, our divorce did not release me from the obligation to forgive. I truly wanted to do it, but it was as if I had been commanded to do something of which I simply was incapable. Her bishop gave her some sound advice. Keep a place in your heart for forgiveness, and when it comes, welcome it in. Many months passed as the struggle to forgive continued. She recalled, During those long prayerful moments, I tapped into a life-giving source of comfort from my loving Heavenly Father. I sensed that He was not standing by glaring at me for not having accomplished forgiveness yet. Rather, He was sorrowing with me as I wept. In the final analysis, what happened in my heart is for me an amazing and a miraculous evidence of the Atonement of Jesus Christ." I had always viewed the atonement as a means of making repentance work for the sinner. I had not realized that it also makes it possible for the one sinned against to receive into his or her heart the sweet peace of forgiving. So I I like that, and the reason why I resonated with it, I heard because I I do I one hundred percent believe that there Jesus Christ came to the earth, offered a sacrifice that covered all of mankind. And everyone's covered in that, and and I believe that, and I have been the recipient of that grace and that you know amazing gift, and so I do believe that it's extended to others. But bridging that gap between that, you know, there's these are these opposing forces where it's like, okay, I believe that, but then on this flip side of it, where it's like this this thing happened and there's insult to injury, bridging that gap between my understanding and belief in the atonement of Jesus Christ and personal experience. And I can bear testimony all day long about that. But then having this thing over here of, you know, the circumstances and situations of such a deep personal insult and and violation can bridging that gap is like, I, I will admit, I just can't do it on my own. I can't do it by myself. And that's what I've kind of come to the conclusion. But I like what she says. And what I resonated with was, you know, can you leave space open Mm -hmm. to be willing to receive it, forgiveness, if you feel it, or if you are prompted by the spirit or whatever happens, like, can you, you know, and it kind of comes back to that seed of faith. Can you just open yourself up to the idea of forgiveness? And I'm like, okay, I, I think I can get there and I can maybe work with something and maybe, that's that's the size of a mustard seed and, and Christ can come in and work with me and and develop that. And I don't I don't know exactly how that works. And I don't think there's really a time frame on that. I like, okay, it'll take six months or it'll take one year and you will be able to do this. But I like that. I like I like that concept of okay, can I open my heart up just to be open to the idea of forgiveness?
0: Right. I like that too. And I think that it, it has been really hard to watch Neil go through this and just wrestle with this because I think it one really hard thing about resentments and forgiveness and withholding it or offering it or whatever is it, it's tormenting. It torments the person that wrestles with the forgiveness, right? And I've watched you wrestle with that. And I think that it is interesting to look at The scriptures, look at the Bible and see. It's been such a gift for me since watching the series, The Chosen, which we do have, hopefully are going to have the director of that series come on and and talk on the podcast. But if you haven't seen it yet, it's a free series that you can watch on Fit Angel about, it's it's kind of like a theatrical, not theatrical, what's the right word for it? Like, it's like a TV series. TV series
1: of the life of Jesus Christ. Right.
0: As an adult and his teachings and his his disciples. And he's he has personality and he comes to life. And I just love it so much because it's given me a fresh perspective when I read of his teachings in the Bible. And I I can picture these people as they're depicted so well in this series. But anyway, so In Matthew chapter 18, 21 and 22, it says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And when I try to picture Jesus, this has been really powerful for me lately, believe it or not, is just to picture him as this real person with real personality, as he's depicted in this TV show and what would he do? What would he say if he was sitting right next to me, talking me through different situations? And, and so I think that's been helpful for me to just try to picture him and, you know, saying like, okay, how do I work through this situation? How do I help Neil? How do I show him compassion? How do I show myself compassion during, you know, a time where I've openly talked about having postpartum depression and just not feeling like I'm up to myself and being it's interesting that you're talking about like you're trying to get there I'm trying to work through something that I haven't figured it out and even when Neil and I talked about doing this episode and talking about cancel culture and then about forgiveness and about how many chances should someone have he was like well I don't know I can't like tie a bow on this yet I don't have it all figured out and my response to that was I think that maybe that's even more powerful to people is to hear the struggle and to hear this is where I'm at. This is how far I've come. And this is where I'm hoping to get. And so I think that, you know, if you can picture the way, if you believe in Christ, if you believe that he, the way that we believe that he really is our older brother who understands perfectly everything that we're going through, I think he has so much perfect compassion for those struggles and to be able to say to the Savior. I can see where I want to go and I'm not there yet. And what path do I take to get there? Where do I need to leave space open, like you said, in in my heart? Or what can I do to just inch a little bit closer? And I always loved, you know, that uh, Gordon B. Hinckley was just one of my heroes. And I always loved that he said, try a little harder to be a little better. It was not wake up tomorrow and be perfect, you slacker. You know, (laughs) it was just a little bit every day. And I feel like that's how Christ works with us too. He's like, okay, show me a little and I can show you a million times more what I can do if you just take one step, if you give me your hand, if you show me that you're willing. And, and that's the whole thing too with Christ's miracles. When you read about those and you think about turning water to wine or, or healing people or whatever, all of these miracles that he did each one of them required a little bit of faith and then he met that person's faith and performed a miracle and i think that with a lot of these like small struggles we just do a little by little by little and and he makes up the full difference you know but it's not unfortunately not like a wake up and be done with some of these things some of them take a lifetime and so i think that what you're doing, Neil, and what you're sharing is probably so relatable to so many people because most people have something, some type of resentment, some type of something that's weighing them down that they're wanting to work through or wanting to become better at. But it's it's not just an easy, like, I decide in my mind and I'm done with it. Bringing it all the way back to the beginning, the cancel culture topic, when I see some of these, like, anger, rage, like, you know, posts and people wanting to call other people out, it it's a little cringy to me because I feel like from someone who's done the 12 steps and someone who's sat in so many 12-step meetings and heard people who have reached the depths of humility and are trying to get better, it makes me feel bad for, you know, people who are like wanting to call someone out or want... It's hard, right? Because there are really, really good things that have come from... Let's bring to light an issue. Let's make a wrong right. And we've been involved in that and wholeheartedly supported some of these movements. At the same time, I think if you can put yourself in the shoes of an individual or someone who, you know, maybe said something wrong or did something like you have to look at yourself like you were saying earlier, have I ever done that? And look back and say, have I sent any text messages that I'd be embarrassed for people to uncover? if my, some of my conversations were on Twitter or whatever, would I be embarrassed to have certain things pop up? I think that all of us have had conversations or said things that after you walk away, you're like, why did I say that? That's not what I meant to say. Or maybe I said that in a stupid way, or I didn't realize that was as offensive as it is. (laughs) This is one good example. When I was a kid, I remember I got, a ride to a piano lesson that was like far away we used to go to this piano teacher who was like really really super good and um, just I did and I would carpool with another family and my parents had said the phrase brown noser in our house before I didn't know what that actually meant and then I like called the the mom that drove us out to this lesson. She was like saying something complimentary to the teacher. And I said, oh, you're a brown noser. <laughs> I didn't even know what that meant. I had no idea that it was offensive. And I came home and told my mom and she was like mortified. Like, oh my gosh, Corinne, that is a really, that's really embarrassing that you would say it. But nobody explained that to me as a kid, you know? And I think that a lot of times too, younger people hear things, they repeat things. They don't even think about it. They don't even realize what the context is, or how offensive something is, or whatever. Um, so, listen. This is what Jesus says in the Bible, Luke's uh, six thirty-seven and thirty-eight. Judge not that ye shall not be judged. Condemn not that ye shall not be condemned. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. And so I guess that's my concluding thought and the message that I want to leave is I don't have all the answers for all of these situations. We want to make positive change, but also be careful to call other people out, you know, and and maybe if you're going to use your influence, use it to build up a better idea rather than tear someone down for the mistakes they've made. Use your voice to Shout from the rooftops the way you want things to be rather than, you know, calling someone out or something out or an organization or a person for what you think they did so wrong because you probably have wronged people too. You've probably said or done things that you wish you could take back. And then at the same time too, we'll all be faced with situations where someone's going to wrong us in a way that in our wildest dreams, we would never ever do to someone else. And I think that's one of those real character building, stretching growth opportunities that are super hard, but it's something that you absolutely have to give to your higher power. And for us, you know, that's the atonement of Jesus Christ. There's just no other way. You can't do it on your own. So those are my concluding thoughts. Do you have anything to add to that, Neil?
1: Not really, honestly. Um, yeah. I'm just still, this is a real time type of deal for me. I'm still working through this. So again, I, I usually, a lot of times in different situations, I'll have like really, I don't know, hopefully hopeful things to say or an experience to share that, that maybe paints a picture of some things that someone could do to work through something. But I am in the midst of this. It's, uh, it's, it's life, you know, life is, is there and is happening. And this is, you know, by design, it's supposed to be challenging in order for us to grow and develop and become more like God. And, and, um, this is just part of it for, for me at this particular time. And, but I will say that the principles of, you know, trusting in God and, and his timing and his plan and eternal perspective, that's been one that's been huge for me is just knowing like, you know, some things, questions will be answered in the next life. And, um, justice will be perfect in the next life to whatever degree that is to justify, you know, something or to, well, not justify, but, but to condemn something or to not condemn something, um, that will, that will be perfect because we'll have a perfect judge. So just some ideas, you know, I've been working with and trying to understand better and study, Um, and, and I think just self-compassion, just trying to be patient with myself and trying to work through this because it's just very difficult.
0: Well, I really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing. I asked, Neil several times before we did this interview, are you sure you feel okay opening up about this and talking about this topic? And, and he and I both agreed that there's just so many people that probably will really be able to relate to your story and to where you're coming from. So we hope this helps. And I just wanted to say to you really quickly, I so appreciate anyone that takes the time to leave a rating or review for us. Neil and I both do. It's super, super important to the growth of the podcast and being able to successfully continue to do this so we can reach a new audience and just grow, like I said. So um, it takes two seconds to leave a star rating and then maybe like a minute more to leave a review if, if you can and I wanted to read one from someone named Ciara this beat is and she says I look forward to Mondays and getting to hear a new podcast episode each episode is like a nice chat with a friend about real topics I'd talk about with a friend I equally like when Corinna interviews someone or when it's just Corinne and Neal talking about their business marriage, faith, etc the topics are always different but always either applicable or just interesting to me thanks Corinne and Neal Thank you, Ciara. Thanks so much, everybody who takes the time to support us. We appreciate it so much. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.